0: strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B E that's IXL.com B E. Welcome to a vision for learning on the B podcast network. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on all the socials at Jethro Jones. I'm very excited to have on the podcast today, Nick Potkalitsky, who is the writer of the Substack that is called Educating AI. You can find the links to that in the show notes at avisionforlearning.com. He's an AI literacy consultant, a language arts teacher, academic researcher in AI linguistics, rhetoric, and instruction. And he's worked in both public and private settings with students from middle school to graduate school. And he's got a wealth of knowledge about these various institutional spaces and student social, emotional, and academic development across this age range as it relates to developing responsive AI systems. So definitely a very interesting conversation. Nick, welcome to A Vision for Learning. So great to have you here. Thanks, Jethro. So what is the most valuable thing people are going to get from our conversation today?
1: I think the... Taking the next steps into this AI space that we're creating for students is going to be forged by building greater trust with our students, making our AI practices more, more transparent and working alongside them to show them that this is a useful tool, but it will never replace their own thinking.
0: Oh, so good. I'll totally second that. And I think the thing that people should really hang on for is where we start talking about the criteria that we can use to evaluate the use of AI tools and whether or not it's going to be an effective and worthwhile thing for them to do. So on this show, A Vision for Learning, we talk about the future of education, what it's going to look like. We've been talking a lot about the Apple Vision Pro because that's what has been released recently. But I'm excited today to talk all about AI and how it works. And I look forward to you hearing this conversation, and we'll get to that conversation with Nick in just a moment. Want to know one of my biggest frustrations with EdTech? Having too many tools and not enough time to use them right. They require too much training, and it takes too much effort to implement it effectively. That's why it makes such a difference that IXL can do the job of dozens of individual tools so that I have everything I need for instruction and assessment in one place. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments and independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? I'm sure you want to increase achievement for all students. Find out how IXL can help. Visit IXL.com slash BE for a demo. That's IXL.com slash BE. Nick, I think a good place to start out is talking about the idea of plagiarism. It's still something that people are worried about and are still feeling stress about and feeling like it's, That's the thing we need to worry about with AI. And I think it is really down at the bottom of the barrel of things that we actually need to worry about it to me right now. Plagiarism is no different than plagiarism has always been, except that it's a lot easier. And that's the only difference. Kids are still going to be motivated to do it. Kids are still going to want to do it to get out of hard work. That's all the issue. Where are you coming down on the idea of AI and plagiarism right now?
1: Well, Jethro, I, I think we, we have to, throughout this sort of crisis as it's been built up to be, we have to maintain the human connection with our students. That has to be held up as priority number one. That's the criteria that we have to measure any sort of intervention against. So I must admit, once the AI-generated papers started rolling in last spring, was definitely tempted to resort to AI detectors. But after quickly doing research, I realized just how inefficient and ineffective they were. In particular, I was impressed by a post by Alberto Romero late in the summer of 20, when he was talking about how these detectors introduced sort of a surveillance culture into our classrooms. And that's where, that was a tipping point for me when I decided that I had to really change the way that I was teaching. I had to start to think about, if I was gonna to continue to lean into, into long form essays as a English teacher, then I had to start to structure them differently. I had to collect them more incrementally. I had to open up for the essays to more AI in- integrated processes um, and make that part of the workflow. Because we have to adapt to the conditions on the ground, I think, as opposed to just holding on to the mythical past. So, yeah, I like the way that you have framed it It's, it's a leveling that this is it's all plagiarism. We need to just start with those conversations as opposed to statistical print printouts, which if you go down that road, you'll very quickly your students will have their own statistical printouts to show you that what they're doing isn't AI generated. Yeah. So it's it's just you're, you go into that cold war mentality and then inevitably nobody's learning. There's no trust and you know, there's no enthusiasm in the classroom. And you get to the point where you're just wondering, what are we doing here? It's definitely not education. So that's where I'm at. So and Nick,
0: tell me about, yeah. about your idea of how you're changing your teaching as you're focused on integrating AI more now. What does that look like? There, there's the idea that you don't have students take home and write essays solely at home. And that's that would be like an obvious, easy first response. But what else does that look like where you're actually integrating AI work into your kids' work?
1: That's a great question. And for me, it's, it's uh, I mean, there's a long answer to it um, because as of right now, we realistically don't have a lot of evidence as to the impact of fully rolling out AI processes into, in my case, like a writing curriculum. So one of the things that I'm interested in is that, you know, as we go into these more hybrid kind of spaces, you know, what's really the impact on like basic core writing and communicative literacies? That's my core research question right now. We're entering into sort of an experimental space. I'm hesitant to go all in the sense of having a fully integrated AI classroom, I know that some teachers are doing that and I'm glad that they are doing it because I'm learning from their experiences, but I'm running sort of two parallel tracks within my class where there are times where we are still just working in a very traditional way, just generating generating ideas without using AI tools, ex nihilo, for instance, just coming up with those ideas from scratch. And I think post-pandemic kids really need that because like throughout the pandemic, they had so many assistive tools that were bumping them in terms of here, do this next thing, do this next thing, particularly those two years when they were mostly on screens. So we have to, I'm finding that we have to like find ways within the curriculum to to create those ex nihilo skills at the well, same time though.
0: And Nick, the other part of that is that all these kids who were in middle school or beginning high school when the pandemic hit, I guess middle school and lower now, because it's already 2024, time flies. But we basically told these kids that everything was made up and that school didn't really matter because we canceled it so fast across the whole country. And so now they're like, does this really matter? Do I really need to do my own thinking here or or not because if something happens i know you can just freeze my grades and wipe away everything and we don't have to take tests this one year and like we sent a very strong message to them that we can just cancel school at the drop of a hat and a lot of people don't hear me say that but that's the reality of what we did
1: yeah i think you're absolutely right and we're we're continuing to see the effects of it in terms of enthusiasm and engagement it's almost as if my students are just waiting for the other shoe to drop. The next and thing,
0: going to cancel it.
1: Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. And then AI comes along, and it's a tool that can manifest a lot of these processes that they're working so hard to learn and master. And you, I can imagine they're just wondering, so where are they in the middle of this? The middle of this agon between. Not necessarily having the stamina to do things from scratch, and then having technologies that can do them effortlessly. And we're we're walking a tightrope in the classrooms right now. And I see in in school spaces, you know one one method is to ignore the these AI tools and just kind of just lean into the hard work. the the struggle, make everything as, as hard as possible. Every brainstorming has to be just pulling up all of the ideas from yourself. And our kids are really struggling with that kind of work. And so I'm trying to meet them, I'm trying to meet them in maybe 20% of the time with some AI responsive lessons, so to make it a little bit more concrete. So we're working on an essay on Westmore's great, uh, great book, *The Other Westmore*, and it's a it's an eighth or ninth grade classic, so a YA version of the a longer piece that he did. So he's now governor of Maryland, and just a, a tremendous story of of never giving up. And so we're going into kind of some thematic questions. And like we've already done what I was talking about is like the one track where we've done some brainstorming ex nihilo with a different essay. But so now we've dipped our toe into AI a little bit and they have access to some models. And I've I've laid the groundwork through parent permissions to get them that access. And we've I've given them some very carefully structured prompts and They've accessed some potential outlines, and, and I've also had them use some brainstorming to create some thesis formula. So it's the idea is to use AI more Socratically, and I got the idea from Con, Conmigo, which is a it's a commercial product out there that Khan Academy is, has put out and is rolling out in a number of schools, and. What's distinctive about their product is that it doesn't just like dump answers like most AI models. it, it will ask more questions. So I've created prompts for my students that will uh, not dump out here's the thesis, but it says here's like a formula that you have to then populate with your own ideas. So we're doing all of that like on the front end of writing, and then we shift to a more of a concentrated human space where they're going to be doing, The writing and drafting. And then we'll come back after we have the drafting and we'll get some commentary from AI. I have this theory about AI that it's really only effective at the beginning and at the end of the writing phase. Like you you have to, particularly at the end, you have to fill up the AI bucket for it to start to do anything interesting. And I'm hoping, like, I'm working with ninth graders now. So the AI literacies just beginning, but I'm hoping as I work with students that are older, we can start to get a little bit more sophisticated in the sense of I would love to show them how you can enter in information at a very low level and get a certain kind of response. But if you really want AI to help you write something super specific, then it's a much more like involved process. And what actually is revealed is like there's a lot of specific kind of writing that takes place between you and the model. And I'm thinking like down the line, like what is writing instruction going to look like? Like a lot of people are fearful that, okay, AI is going to outmode English as a subject or writing as a discipline. In my conversations with folks, I'm like, no, it's just writing's changing. It's, We're just going to be learning how to write more functionally and And operationally.
0: Yeah, Nick, I think that's really valuable and very clear that how we write is changing. One of the things that I've seen and the way that I describe this is that it's easy to get AI to do anything, but it's really hard to get it to do one thing specifically. And so it's actually not easier for me to write with AI it's actually easier to write without AI because I already know how I write and I already have the skills. And I think that this is a very interesting challenge because especially as you're talking about these kids who were in school during the pandemic and probably did not have a ton of writing opportunities and an opportunity to develop that writing, they don't have a voice. And so when they ask the AI to write it, then it's a really big deal because it produces something better than what they could write as far as they can mm-hmm. tell when i ask the ai to write something it is never as good as what i could write myself at least in my opinion <laughs> right <laughs> and so i think i wouldn't use that word i wouldn't write it that way etc and so we need to change our perspective about how we are writing things and be aware that is changing. And I think that piece is the part that's really hard for teachers to grasp and appreciate because there's this nostalgic way that we used to do it. And then there's this new way that's scary and we don't understand it. We don't, nobody really understands how these transformers work so that, so that it actually produces the text, even the people who are creating the algorithms to make it work. They don't even understand exactly how it's working. And and that part is scary for everybody. I totally get that. So I like what you're saying about how you're going through that process, how the AI is only helpful in the beginning and in the end. Can you talk a little bit about your your writing and how much you use it? And if it is something that is helping you or hindering you as you're writing your sub, sub stack posts that are so good and detail oriented what's your experience with your own personal writing as opposed to your teaching writing to your students?
1: Yes, yeah, this is a great question. So AI has changed the way I write because I do use it as a finishing agent. And using it as a finishing agent has freed me up to just write torrents of text. I used to be a highly critical writer. And what I mean by critical is like critiquing ideas as I was writing them and worrying about okay how is this going to look at the end product and and that kind of would plant sort of a seed of doubt in me about ultimate purpose and about how it was going to land with audience and and I'm not saying that AI is ultimately doing all that finishing for me but For some reason, kind of me synergizing with AI has lifted a little bit of that worry and those concerns in tow with, I've done a PhD and I've grappled with my own writing demons now for 20 years. So, (laughs) I mean, like me compared to how... Anxious of a writer I was in undergrad compared to how I am now. I've just gotten a little bit quicker each year and a little bit less critical. But now like with AI in tow, it's like something's just happened with me. I'm truly grateful for it because now when I like sit down, it's just, I know that I just, I need to give these AI systems, like the sort of the logical connections between my ideas, like those that really is what it needs to do a lot of its sort of polishing work. And so I just go in there and I'm like, I have these connections of the ideas. Like the ideas were always there for me. I'm just like slamming the ideas out, right? And I'm not worrying so much about the articulation. And then I get into a conversation with AI about the like what it looks like and I let it do a first look through and it will give me some initial sort of, here's some things to consider as you do some editing. So I'll allow it to give me more like a laundry list of things to, to do as opposed to actually going through and kind of going through and actually revising all of the text and then with those directives in hand, usually I'll get to a place where it's almost polished. I don't know. I've just become much more, more efficient and freer as a writer. And I've been with doing the Substack now once a week. I'm just been in like maximum performance zone yeah, yeah. as a writer, where it's like I'm just feeding off the audience, and I'm like nestled into like this like amazing group of writers right now on Substack, like Alejandro and Nat and Michael Wudenberg, Like these we I mean, we're a small ecosphere in terms of the AI community on there. Um and we've we're just chopping up ideas and doing guest posts and helping lift each other. And it's just it's like social media before yeah. social media.
0: I know exactly <laughs> so. what you're talking about. So let me ask you this question. As you've yeah. been using
1: AI for your
0: own work, your own yeah. writing, how has that helped you relate to and s- help students see where the AI is beneficial
1: or not for what they're doing? With me and my students, it's brought us down on the same kind of playing field in terms of we're all experimenters in this new field of textual generation. Whereas Early on in January, when I was very fearful of AI and was trying to keep it out of the classroom, and I'm talking about January of 2023, like that, to go back to my earlier point about trust, there's fear and suspicion in the classroom. Now, you know, we're in in co-pilot mode where I'm learning from their use as much as they're learning from my experiment up on the board so it, it's a much more collaborative a collaborative energy a collaborative atmosphere and i think the you know and this is something that i encourage teachers that i encounter is to have a to have a culture of transparency around use if you as a teacher if you're using it to generate any classroom materials it's i think it's a good thing to be forthright with students that you have leaned into AI to to generate those materials, um, we we get into sort of a weird space in in K through twelve where you have some teachers who are prohibiting student use of AI and yet using it to oh, make yeah. their tests. You know, <laughs> don't get me
0: started on that hypocrisy. That <laughs> drives me nuts. Oh my yeah. goodness! I want to share real quick how I'm using. AI, because I think that it's quite different than you in my own writing, because what I do is I basically will say, here's the idea that I have, or here's something that I've already written. How else would you say this? Or would you have a different idea for an analogy or something like that? And then I don't ever copy and paste it, although I have in the past. Mm -hmm. But every time I copied and pasted it, I just never felt like it was any good or that it was worthwhile. I'm in a doctoral program right now and the temptation is certainly there, especially on certain assignments to just have it do it because the assignment is basically pointless and like, it doesn't really matter. And on those situations, I definitely want to use AI because when the assignment is pointless, then it's, it's really difficult to give it time and attention. And so if the assignment, what I'm doing in those situations where there's an assignment is I'm trying my hardest to figure out what the real purpose of the assignment is and how yeah. I can make it worthwhile for me in a different way that matters. So that's, that's one thing. The other part of that is that when I do copy and paste it with one exception, which is I use an app called audio pen, audio pen okay. AI. And what this tool does is it will take you speaking, which is Mm. something that I'm very comfortable with doing, (laughs) right? And it will take your speaking and turn that rambling, incoherent thought into something that is clear. That app, because of how I've set it up, has done the best job of taking my rambling, incoherent thoughts and turning them into something that is publishable. Yeah, yeah. In writing. And so that has been the biggest use case for me is being able to speak what I want to speak and then having the AI turn it into text that is readable. And then I, I typically clean that up a bit and have it be mm-hmm. a little bit better. But that tool specifically has been the best one that I've used so far. And it works really well for me, even better than having an audio conversation with chat GBT, which I am. Really amazed at how good that is, also.
1: Yeah. No, I've seen people have audio pen in their workflows, and I've just never been able to. There's some, I'm just more of a type and think kind of person, but I can see you, audio is probably something that you, you would gravitate to. But yes. yeah, I find the only time that I really copy and paste is like when I have a particularly gnarly sentence where I have three or four ideas blocking out and there's just like a verb that's really giving me some like issue and I just need some help. I've had this problem historically throughout my writing career where it's just, I hit sort of a block in my thinking, like, how can I unwork this? And when I was writing my dissertation, those sort of blocks would halt my writing process sometimes for you know, five six minutes, and now with sort of an AI tool, I can get a couple of different options to to play around with pretty quickly. Yeah, but mostly it's I like how I mostly work with Chat GPT version four, which has been acting really quite strange the past couple of weeks. But um, uh, so let's just,
0: let's stop there for a second because this yeah. is something else that is so fascinating. Is that it has been acting strange and it's been doing bizarre (laughs) things and we don't really understand why it's doing that. But if you don't have those basic skills already, that could throw you for a real loop. I was, I'm in a chat with someone and they said that they, that they were doing something with getting a, some sort of Japanese flower folding thing for their wife and they know Japanese so they know what it is but they didn't want to translate it themselves they put it into chat GPT and it translated into a story about somebody killing someone else instead of teaching you how to how to fold this flower correctly and what's so fascinating is that if this goes back to that whole literacy piece that if you don't know what you're doing already then you could really be in a lot of trouble with it and that's really what learning is all about, right? That we want to teach people mm-hmm. to know how to do the things that we're doing. And in, in mm-hmm. one of your sub stacks, I don't remember which one you linked something from AI for education IO that talked about, yeah. about one, there was a flow chart and one of the things said, if you're skipping the learning, you're doing it wrong, consider using AI in a different way. And like that yeah. piece is just so important. We, we shouldn't be skipping the learning. Any thoughts on that, on the skipping the learning part?
1: Yeah. The absolute worst outcome of this whole situation is that it becomes a prosthesis for learning that and that we have a whole generation of students that somehow, you know, skip over the cognitive Gains that come from having the sustained critical engagement with a writing process. You know, I think a writing process can take a lot of different forms and different shapes. It can be multimodal, and it's our job as educators and particularly writing instructor, instructors to invite students into a, a deep critical engagement, ethical aesthetic, philosophical, rhetorical, these sort of deep engagements with texts and whatever form they come. We And you can stage that in a number of different ways, depending upon where your students are developmentally. But if I think there's going to be a tipping point as we think about implementations and integrations, where these processes will start to encroach on some of that critical thinking and that's where we have to be have that overseeing, or sort of that and that, and also hold on to the vision that I think are going to ultimately like the only way that we're going to be able to maintain it is by establishing some principles or and some outcomes that we want to see from these synergistic kind of spaces. So, like in my most recent post, I was starting to plan out some AI learning outcomes that. That were that I want to continue to think about, and there are also there are a lot of like ISTI, and there's Quadruple A, which is a big a- AI promotion organization, but they have an educational wing. Like there are company or organizations that are building these like deep literacy programs that I think are going to help us structure our practices and help teachers build up some sort of watch points or criteria that to think about is this particular implementation maintaining critical thinking are we giving away too much it's going to i think a lot of it will just come down to sort of like costs um, and, and benefits for particular implementations so I, when i was at a, a conference out in Philadelphia a couple weeks ago I did a training with teachers from across the eastern seaboard where I walked them through a AI writing process and we used AI to do brainstorming and then initial drafting and then editing and I had them go through like a five scale like evaluation of how did AI do you know and I the major like criteria that we were working on was like knowledge and skills generation. Like was there new knowledge being generated through the integration of AI? Were there new skills being generated? I think we need something like that, like some sort of like solid criteria that we can use to evaluate use. Cause like right now it's like, it's pretty ambiguous. I don't know. Like the, at the conference there were like the value they were throwing out was like, human centered right is our integration is it helping us keep education human centered and that's that's like a good big idea but it seems there's also like other things underneath that like what what exactly does that mean so that's going to be the work i think of the next couple months maybe year of figuring out those criteria for evaluating implementations
0: Yeah. Let me ask you this. What would be your suggestions or advice to teachers who are resistant to doing anything with it? And how would you encourage them to, um, I don't want to say speed up the adoption of AI, but at the same time, I want to say like, don't run fearfully from it. How, what would be your advice?
1: Yeah. So I had several people in the room in my training who were resistant and fearful. And the power and the willingness comes from actually just engaging with the tools. And, and I'm working with a guy right now in Australia developing some, some leadership training materials because the major stopgap right now for AI integration in K-12, it's instructional leaders who are slowing down the process and they're in a a position of tremendous trust and they want to get it right. And I think like part of our vision for this, these training materials are just kind of coaxing leaders just to sit down and use the products as part of an acculturation process. What can these actually do? I think once you sit down, when you sit down immediately and you ask, or, right away and you see it that it can create a sonnet like that's that sort of blows you away and you're like oh wow the there's no nothing that you know that these machines can't do but as you prompt away with it for a, a half hour then you start to see the limitations the repetitions you start to see the hollowness of the text you start to ask it questions about the text and prompts in that the level of understanding just maybe it gets a little bit blurry and I don't know you you start yeah. to understand the way it works and once Nick, you get if yeah. I may
0: be so bold as to say anybody who's still worried about plagiarism has never used the tool because once <laughs> you use the tool you realize this really isn't a worry because yeah. it's not there yet it's yeah. it cannot mimic a person's voice that well. And you can tell. And when I read things online, I can tell almost all the time that is done and generated by AI. There are little keywords and phrases that are like, okay, that a real person doesn't write that way. However, I think real people are going to start writing that way because they're going to be mimicking what they see just as a little yeah. side note, <laughs> not to get us too off course, but uh, so as we close up here, Nick, this was awesome in the show notes. If it's okay with you, you put a, a great outline of your process of how you've gone through learning about this and a few different links to yours and other sub stacks that were just really powerful. I'm going to leave those in the show notes so that people can check that out. We didn't have a chance to go into all those things, but I thought they were really good and really interesting. And so I want people to be able to check those out. How can people connect with you and learn more about the stuff that you're doing, Nick?
1: You can reach out to me on Substack. You can also find me on LinkedIn. So you could also shoot me an email at at potkolitsky at gmail.com. So I'm excited to help schools make a transition into this AI space. Uh, and thank you, Jethro, for setting up this interview. It was an amazing time. I think we really broke some new ground here. You're you're a good guide on this journey. So. Thank
0: you very much. And I appreciate you being here. This was a lot of fun. I hope that this is not our last conversation together because I think that, like I said, we barely scratched the surface of what... We could have talked about. And so I think this was a good start for, for this podcast and definitely something that I want to stay in touch on. So uh, links yep. to his Substack and LinkedIn are in the show notes. So definitely go, uh, go check that out at a vision for